Um, this morning, as I said, it's going to be a little bit different message. I'm kind of just going to have a conversation with you, if you don't mind. I'm just going to have a conversation with you this morning. You know, um, I love by nature going through books of the Bible because it keeps my mind going in a certain direction. And I'm not creative enough to come up with series. I'll leave that for other pastors in big churches and how they package it. And, you know, every six, eight weeks, you know, have a new, you know, $3,000 set to kind of mimic the, the theme for the week. I, I can't do it. I'm just not that smart. So I got to just go through books for the most part. <laughs> but every once in a while, God says, no, I don't want you to preach that. So this last week I've been working on um, Romans chapter 7, uh, beginning verse 7 and forward. And over the last couple of days, God's just like, nah, not that. So I just want to preach to you this morning, talk to you this morning on the subject of perspective of life in difficult times. A perspective of life in difficult times. How many think we're going through difficult times? Maybe you're experiencing it. Raise your hand. Wow. Almost all of us, right? Nobody is exempt from going through difficult times. And let me just share a couple of my struggles and then a couple of things I see nationally, as I've mentioned in the last several weeks. But let me then share what God is doing. But, you know, shoulder surgery. I am so stinking ready for 2021 to be done. Anyone else? Can I get an amen? I'm over 2021. I had shoulder surgery 12, 13 weeks ago. And for... A brief week, about two weeks ago, I actually didn't have pain. I'm like, wow, this is sweet. The light switch switched, and the pain went off. I'm like, this is good. This is a good thing. No more pain. And all of a sudden, as fast as it went away, it came back, and then you're not, you know, you're back to not sleeping for a week. I'm like, really? Oh, just surgery is supposed to fix stuff, right? I exchanged one pain for a different kind of pain. It's just, just in a different spot. And I'm thinking, was it worth it? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, but I just, I'm ready for it to be done with. And as fast as I think I'm okay and I'm ready to do the foot surgery, now I get foot surgery and I can't drive for six weeks. Tell a person who likes to drive everywhere every day and do stuff not to drive. I'm trying to figure out a way that if I could just like kind of get a motion. Like they should put a hinge in the boot. But that would defeat the whole purpose of the boot. Right? The boot keeps it straight so you can't move. But if you could, like, maybe you could just kind of push just right, right? You know, no, you're not driving, right? It's just not going to happen. But I'm thankful that there's not a lot of pain. It's just more annoying than anything. How many are going through annoying stuff? Right, everybody. We all go through annoying junk that we don't pick, that we wouldn't choose. You know, and I'm thinking here, life is just, you know, okay, and we're, we're going along, and God is at work, and He's doing stuff, and yeah, life's not perfect, and there's this struggle and that struggle. And then I get a, a, a phone call at, you know, 11 o'clock at night from my mom telling me that my nephew was shot. And I'm thinking, what in the world? You know, and you know, there's lots of things that go through your mind, and, you know, and I, as I was talking to my sister, I said, I feel like crying every time I think about it, and I wasn't even that close to him. And yet, at the same time, it's like nobody deserves to die like that. He's just coming home. He's a kindergarten teacher at the local charter school a mile from his house. Has, a, has had the last couple years, at least, a good impact in his community. And is a good kid who's trying to do what's right. And, and teaching kindergartens every day. And he's on his way home from the football game. And he's maliciously shot down with a machine gun. And you can hear it. In Minneapolis, they have what they call shot spotters on the tops of the telephone poles throughout the city and as soon as a gunshot goes off it starts recording you can hear the machine gun and I'm thinking to myself who deserves that no one and uh, I see his car and it's all shot up and I'm thinking wow and my sister my heart breaks for her. 
No parent wants to bury a child in that, well, not at all, but especially not in that fashion. And her twin, or and, and Bud's twin sister, oh my goodness, she's been texting me back and forth, and my heart breaks for her. And the whole family, nobody deserves to die like that. You're thinking, I, I, I can't even get bullets to go hunting, let alone machine gun bullets. I mean, we're, I mean, they're readily available on the streets. It's chaos. And I'll never remember, I'll never forget number 67. But it was number 67 this year. The 67th murder in Minneapolis so far this year. They're on track to catch up and be the leading uh, for their state, the, the highest number that they've had in 20 years. And it just doesn't stop. That was a week ago, and there's already been like six or eight more. It just doesn't stop. And we cried to fund the police because somehow that's going to make it even go less. It doesn't make sense to me, but it's out of my you know, realm of, of reason. Pastor Jeremy Smith. Went to college with him. He was my roommate for a year. Uh, his brother was my roommate for a year or two. Um, but we went all through our college years together, and after years we stayed in touch with each other. Two weeks ago, he was fine. Two and a half weeks ago, it was normal. You know, started having a little bit of a, you know, flu-like symptom. Thought that's all it was. A few days later, he's in the hospital trying to breathe, and so they gave him some oxygen. Thought, oh, that was better. And I don't know all the details, but they thought it was good enough that they'll take the oxygen away. And then all of a sudden, that night, things just turned worse, and found out that he had holes and actual tears in his lungs, numerous places, tears that the COVID had caused in some way, shape, or form. And so his heart, as it was beating to give the lungs air, the air was escaping through those tears and making his heart work twice as fast just to keep up with the air that he needed in his lungs. And his, now the concern is his heart is wearing out. It's beating so, so hard. But yet the doctors are stunned that he's made it two more days. And this story can be repeated over and over again. I've heard so many friends. I have numerous pastor friends that went through it and have done okay, but yet it's real. Ministry struggles. If I have talked to one pastor, I've talked to 10 pastors in the last couple months struggling with ministry, opinions within the church, struggles within the church, frustrations within the church. They'll, they want to do this and they want to do that and they don't want to do this and don't want to do that. And what does God want? And nobody wants to do what God wants. And everybody's got an opinion and everybody thinks we should do this and shouldn't do that. And everyone's got an opinion. So many pastors have quit this last year. It's unbelievable. And I'm not just saying it. They quit every day. Why? Because of the selfishness of mankind. Amongst one. Others, areas of selfishness, areas of lack of faith, frustrations. But it's real. It's absolutely real. I've been told that between here and the Adirondacks, there are 35 churches without pastors in the last year. Between here and the Adirondacks. 35. My phone's been ringing off and asking me if I know people who are interested in a pastorate. And yet we have more kids in college and seminary than ever before and yet there's vacancies all over the places and churches closing down all over the place and churches that are looking for pastors are just filled with indecision 
know what to do or how to do it. I'm just glad that God has called me. It's not a career choice. I believe that because God has called me. I don't care how bad it's going to get until you fire me. I'm going to be here. But the reality is God has called us to this. And where God calls us, he'll take care of us. Amen? Amen. How about political unrest? The ongoing us versus them. Just a legitimate question. Is it ever going to stop? No. No. But are we shocked? No. I mean, every day you got the Fox News press conferences and you got the CNN press conferences. And it's all us versus them. And they're right and they're right. Just ask them. They'll tell you. It is what it is. And it's not going to change. But we shouldn't be shocked. Or how about... As of last week with the president's mandates, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated. That's a conversation that we don't like to have. Because everyone's got an opinion, right? And your opinion is right. Just ask you. (laughs) But the reality is, in the light of it all, what does God want for our lives? Who's in control? How about this last week? Here's an interesting one. Didn't hardly hit the news. On the world peace stage, just four days ago, four Chinese Navy ships right off the coast of Alaska. And you ask yourself, why? Yeah, I see them looks on everyone's face like, huh? You don't want to know why? They're just testing our responses, seeing what we're going to do, what we're going to say, how we're going to handle it. Intimidation. Why? Because everybody wants authority and control of the world. Everybody wants to be in charge, the super political party in charge. I'm just telling you, if we get nuked tomorrow, I'm going to heaven. I got no death wishes, but I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Or how about this past week? Promised tax hikes. Praise God. How many are looking forward to that? Wow. Thank you, Jesus. I love the inflation. Thank you. That's your nuts. I, I, I know. I've been saying it for years. But you know, what if the gas does get to $6 a gallon? Are you going to stop driving? Is anybody going to stop? No. You're just going to gripe about buying the $6 a gallon gas. But you're going to do it because you don't have a choice. But here's the thing. Did God wake up this morning, as I've humorously asked a thousand times over the last 11 years, did God wake up this morning and scratch his head and say, well, I didn't know that was going to happen? <laughs> of course not. God knows what's, what's going on, what we're going to face, and what we're going to go through. He's in charge of all of it, right? right? We saw that a couple weeks ago. It says even the king's heart is in the hand of God. That's a pretty big stinking hand. God's in control of everything that takes place. What do I have to fear? So we look around us and it seems like it's all doom and gloom. If that's our perspective of a glass being half empty, you can see a half empty glass everywhere. In fact, it's over half empty. I should probably get a refill of my coffee there. But (laughs) most of us, we we look around and we say, oh man, it's terrible. Look at what's going on and this and that. You know, I'm hearing all the the rumors and, you know, he promised us tax hikes this, I mean, in the next year. Thank you. What are you going to do? You're going to do it. 
Because this is the world that we live in. It is a fallen, broken world that we live in. It is a sin-filled world that we live in. People who are making decisions without the Word of God, without the Spirit of God within them. And why should we expect anything else in the world that we live in, right? That's what we expect. But let me tell you what God is doing. Let me just tell you a couple of things that is really super cool before we get into God's Word. And we are going to get in there for a little bit this morning, I promise. I just want to tell you what God is doing. Number one, at least 11 decisions for salvation that I know of in the last two months. Is that, I mean, come on. If you're going to cheer about something, cheer that there's 11 people that trusted Jesus. That's awesome. There are 11 more souls who say, when I die, I'm going to spend eternity with heaven and with the Lord. That's cool. That gets you, that ought to get us exciting. Through fill the field and personal stories, at least 11 that I know of. Number two. I've heard more people telling, telling me that they've had opportunities to share their faith, their stories of faith in the last several months. Keep doing it. God's word tells us that some plant, some water, but God gives increase. God never called us to control the outcome of what we do. He said, just do it. I don't have to be in charge of what happens in the long run. All I have to do is be obedient and faithful to what God's called me to do. That's it. But the reality is, I do have to be obedient. I do have to do what God's called us to do. And God has called all of us to be faithful. God has called all of us to be obedient. God has called all of us to share our story. Keep doing it. Because you don't know what God's going to do in and through it. Let's not give up on that. Because God is at work. I was going to share some stories this morning video. I'm going to do it next week. So just, I have some videos I'm going to show you next week. You know, over the last several months, we've been helping some churches in Nepal. They've been sending me videos, steady flow of videos of what's happening over there. And they are so excited. They're still trying to figure out, who's this Harvest Church? <laughs> Honest to God, we're the first church that's ever helped them. And, and trust me, I've said over and over, if they were begging me for help, I would never help them. These are people who are still trying to figure out, why are you helping us? Because they're part of the family of God. Same church, different, I mean, a, a, a same salvation, same family, just different place in the world. And I'm so excited because last week we were given an opportunity and one of the pastors approached me and said, Hey, Pastor Ken, would you guys like to help with a church plant? I said, well, I'm not sure. Let, give me some details. He says, I got one of my pastors who's gone to one of the poor areas, which half of them are in poor, but one's more poor than another. They have nothing. And he says... We've got an opportunity to buy some land and put a church there. And I said, well, let me talk to a couple people and let's see what God does. If God's in it, we'll say yes. If God's not, I'll have to pass for right now. And I said, but it's in God's hands. So I came back and I approached a couple people and they said, yeah, let's do this. And so we have an opportunity as a church to plant another church in Nepal. And for $3,000 or right around there, we're going to be able to purchase land with them. And to establish a church there for a first-time brand-new church in Nepal. They're so excited. They're so excited. And they're still wondering why we're helping them. Because we're part of the family of God. You know, a couple weeks ago, I talked about a church on top of the, on top of the mountain. It's, I mean, they're literally carrying up like ice cream pail-sized buckets of water 500 yards up the side of a hill. That's literally like this. And I sat down last week with my friend. I said, is there a way they can get water up there? He goes, oh, pastor, he goes, it'd be too expensive. He says, we can never do that. 
And you're talking water up here to drill down to where they actually hit a water vein? Not going to happen. But he says there are some other agencies that are several hundred yards away. And he says what we do in Nepal when there's that kind of a situation, he says what we do is see if we can pay them a fee and then run pipe from there to us so we can get the water. But they've already made the investment. And I said, check into it. Well, they checked into it and they says, we can probably do it for around a thousand or twelve hundred dollars. Rather than carrying buckets of water up a hill like this, they're going to tack on to someone else who's already made an investment, a government agency, pay them a small fee, and then put pipe to them so they can have water on top of the mountain. Water changes everything. I won't take the time today, but it's amazing the stories that I've been hearing about how water has opened doors of opportunity. And of course, God's word says the living water is what will change lives. And so we have an opportunity to be a part of that, to see people saved and the gospel go forward in other parts of the world. Unbelievable. I'm excited. Just some of you know that I've started a ministry, a 501c3. I'm excited because this week I got fully, officially official. So I've got my 501c3 tax papers and it's completely official now. I'm excited for that because God is opening doors there too. I'm amazed at what God is doing. So despite all the crap that's taking place all around us, God is still at work. God is still doing some incredible things. So for a little while this morning, let me share some biblical perspective of the junk that's taking place all around us. First of all, if you take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times might come. What's it say? It will come. Why would we expect anything different? There are going to be difficult days in these days. And we're seeing it all around us. It's not going to stop. It's not going to get better. Look at verse 2. It says, For men will be lovers of themselves. We don't see that anywhere. Remember, it's not about me. It's all about him. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Let me ask a question. You see any of that going on around us? Everywhere. Man, it's Everywhere. And what's even more sad, look at the end of middle of verse, verse uh, or beginning of verse 5. Having a form of godliness, but not denying its power. Is that not the world we live in? People who claim to be religious, who are being hypocritical, saying one thing but doing another. It's all around us. But guess what? God said it was going to be this way. Why would we think it why should we think or expect anything less? And look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. It says now the spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith having heed to or giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons speaking lies and hypocrisy having their own conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding 
You know, the whole, I mean, just look what's going on around us. And why would we expect or think that it's going to be any different than what it is? So here's the first thing about the perspective. It's as it will be. It's not going to change. It's not going to get better this side of heaven. So it is the world that we live in. So let me ask you a question. If it, isn't, if it is the world that we're living in, how do you think we should respond to it? So here's the idea. I can get mad at everybody. I can get ticked off at everybody. I can get angry with everybody. Get in arguments with everybody. And I want to prove how right I am and how correct I am. And why my opinion and preferences and, and so forth are better than yours and, and righter than yours. Or I can love them. Because I've never met anybody who refused love. They may not agree with you. I've got people all over Facebook that don't like me or like where I stand. But as a person, they're kind to me because I've been kind to them. I don't have to accept everyone else's lifestyle or everyone else's opinions to love them. Get that through your head. And if all you're going to do is fight them and oppose them and debate them, you're never going to see them come to Christ. Fact. But you can love them. There's a lot of people I don't agree with. But if you ask them if they know that they're loved, they'll tell you yes. Friends that I went to college with that now have a different lifestyle than what I would appreciate. People that I know once knew the truth have walked away from it. But I still encourage them. Love them. God says the love. But this is the world that we live in. Why would we expect anything different? Let me ask you a question. Do you ever get tired? And I'm not talking about the kind of tired where you could just go sleep for a couple more hours and it fixes everything. Everyone gets that kind of tired. I'm talking about the tired of the, of the daily grind. The day in, the day out that doesn't change. The frustrations that seemingly never go away. I think there's an example of a guy that went through that in Scripture. His name was David. You know, for a while, David was called to be the next king, right? I mean, here's a guy whose God's hand is on him and says, you are going to be the next king. You're going to lead my people. And guess what? There was another guy who was already on the throne and he didn't really want to give it up. <laughs> In fact, he was so angry at David that he sent armies of men after him, chasing him. And even though he was being chased and he was fleeing and he was running for his life, David had opportunities where he could have killed those men, even the king. But God's word says he behaved himself wisely in all manner of living. There's a word we don't hear much. I remember my mom saying as a little kid, you behave now. We don't hear that phrase anymore. How many remember that? You behave. It says that David behaved himself wisely. He had opportunity to take care of the situation and chose not to. So he says, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. But I'm going to tell you, in the process, David was worn out. Can you imagine for days after day after day after day, running for your life, looking for the next place to hide, the next place that you can get away from his men because they're everywhere? It's the daily grind that doesn't change. It's the moment that you feel like there's just no hope because it just doesn't stop. 
Look at 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag had attacked Ziklag, or Ziklag, and attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there. From small to great, they did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and their daughters have been taken captive. Now stop right there. Don't, don't look on. David was so tired. Running for his life. Looking for the next place to hide. And it seemingly just would not stop. And so David finally gets to the point where he just wants to go home. He just wants to go home. How many of you have ever been on a road trip for a few days and you just can't wait to get back in your own bed? Personified. He just wants to get back. But when he gets back to his town, he finds that it's been burned to the ground. His family's gone, been taken captive. All the earthly possessions were gone, taken, stolen. And the handful of friends that he thought were standing with him Look what it says here. Then David, verse 4, Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep, you think. They were broken. They were desperate. And then verse 5, And David's two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, and the Carmelite had been taken captive. Now, here's the kicker, verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, you think. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. Stop right there. The handful of friends that David had are now saying, it's your fault. David is now probably, I can only imagine, thinking I've got no one left in this world. How many have ever felt like that? Alone? Like you're not sure what to do. Not really feeling like you have anybody you can turn to that you can trust and just be open with. That's David right here. Trouble on every side. His life in jeopardy. And he does not even have a home to go home to. But here's what he did. Verse 6 at the end of the verse. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. He didn't pick up his cell phone and say, Hey, George, you ain't going to believe what happened this week. Hey, Susie, you're not going to believe what I went through this week. He did not get on his cell phone. Well, personally, because he didn't have one. But even if he did, that's not what he did. He'd do. He didn't get on social media and say, You're not going to believe that what the world has done to me. There's no Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. One going to go out on Twitter. Folks, we need to learn this principle. That when everything else is wrong, there's one thing that is right. And that's Jesus. He said he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. God's word says, if I draw nigh unto him, he will what? Draw nigh unto us. The garbage that has taken place in this world, you're not going to change it. It's as is. It's to be expected. But God is still there on the throne. Lamentations. If you can find it, good luck. I should have marked it in my Bible, but it's uh, it's right about there. It is. 
Jeremiah, Lamentations. Just a tiny little book hidden in there. Chapter 3, verse 38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Let me ask you a question. Does it shock us that both good and bad happen to both good and bad people? It shouldn't. Because out of the mouth of the Most High come these things. We could go on. Look at Isaiah. Just back a couple chapters. Isaiah chapter uh, 45 and verse 7 says this. It says, I form the light and create darkness. Who's speaking here? God. He says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create, what's the next word? Calamity. Wow, wait a minute. God creates calamity? Yep. I, the Lord, do all these things. So what's that tell us? That God is in control of every circumstance. If God didn't want there to be frustrations or anxiety or difficult days or hard times, it wouldn't happen. But for some reason, he says, I'm going to allow it. And if he's going to allow it, that means he's got something that he's going to do in and through it. He's got a purpose for it. And I think in my mind, at least, he wants to see the glory brought back to him as we work our way through it with his help. What is he doing in our lives that we would not pick, that we would not choose, that we would never ask for, that God is allowing so that he would use it for his own glory? Because if he didn't want it, it wouldn't happen. That's reality. Turn over to Job. Job, Psalm, Proverbs. This is a cool verse. Turn over to the book of Job. uh, Chapter 42. Job chapter 42 and verse 5. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. I want you, I want to, let me just give a little explanation of this. In Job 45 verse 2. During all the hardships, during all the difficulties, we hear that there's a God, Right? Some of you are probably sitting here this morning, you're hearing me say these things, and you're saying, well, I've heard there's a God. I know He's out there somewhere. I know that, I I hear what people say about Him. I I believe a couple things about Him. Take that scenario that I just said, put it in verse 5. I've heard of you with my ears, but now my eyes see you. The circumstances of life allow us to go from hearing about God to seeing God at work. That's what he's saying here. So when we go through these difficult days, and we all will, it's an opportunity to see God at work in the midst of them. It's that simple. So I can choose to get angry and upset and frustrated and disappointed and maybe even depressed. Or I can lean heavy into God and say, God, I need your strength. What is it you're trying to teach me through these things? So 2 John chapter 1. Here's another perspective. 
right before the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, and 2nd John, just a little tiny book. Look at verse 8. It says, look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we receive a full reward. Can I just kind of give a Ken Todd paraphrase? Don't quit. Don't quit. God's word tells us in Galatians that if we don't faint, there is a reward. If you don't quit, there is a reward. If you don't stop, God's going to work. Right? Believe Him. Trust Him. We've worked hard to get where we're at. We have put ourselves as faithful to the Word and faithful to our obedience to God and faithful for what we see Him doing. And in the midst of it, God says, don't stop. Don't quit. Turn over to Revelation. Just a few pages over. Chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Behold, I am come quickly. Hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. Okay, another simple Kentod paraphrase in this context. Don't let other people distract you. Don't let other circumstances distract you. Stay focused on what God has you here to do. There are always going to be bombs going off to the left or the right of us. Bombs of news things that you didn't like to hear. Bombs of health scares that you didn't want to go through. Bombs of friends who said this or said that and have hurt your feelings. Bombs are going off all around us. Right? Tell me I'm wrong. It happens. What are you going to do? Quit? Hopefully not. Go back one verse prior. Verse 10 says, Because you have kept my command to persevere... I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell in the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. God's going to work. Trust Him. He's not... He's, he, he, he knows all these things are happening. It didn't come as a surprise to Him. Turn over to Philippians. Let me give you another perspective. some reason my pages are sticking this morning there we go Philippians 1 and verse 21 here's Paul let me ask you a question those of you who know a little bit about the life of Paul the apostle easy life or no no in fact it was not difficult it was not easy at all in fact it was very difficult in fact when he came to know Jesus when the Apostle Paul came to know Jesus, what did, he, what did God say? He goes, I'm going to show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Well, sign me up. He says, no, I'm going to show him. He's going to go through some difficult times. I, I don't know, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, beaten. I'd say he suffered a little bit. And yet this was his perspective. Verse 21. He says, for to me... Paul, my perspective is, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Let's imagine just for a moment that you're going 
through all that you would never want to go through. Everything's bad, everything's negative, everything's depressing, everything's frustrating, everything's causing your anxiety levels to go up through the roof. Do you realize that even if you deal with that for 40, 50, 60, 70 years, on the timeline of eternity, you're still just that little This life is going to end. And in part, we have an opportunity as to how it will end. I'm not talking about the manner of death. I'm talking about whether or not you know Jesus in this life or not. You see, without Jesus, yeah, it's on me. Do what you can do to survive. But with Jesus, I have the Holy Spirit living within me. And somebody that's fighting my battles. Somebody that's giving me strength and helped me through it all, right? I don't have to go through it all alone. And that's why Paul could, of assurance, say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let me give you one more perspective. Turn back to Isaiah chapter 48. With this, we'll close. Back to Isaiah chapter 48. There's so many other things I want to share, but I didn't want to keep you here till you know, 3 o'clock, so I decided to kind of bring it in just a little bit. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 10. It says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will do it. Now think about this. Difficulty refines us. Hardship refines us. I'm not wealthy enough to own lots of gold. That's kind of not within my realm of uh, lot in life or however you want to put it. I've never had like, I mean, I have no, just in case you ever wonder about breaking in my house, I got no safe of gold. Just <laughs> find someone else. But I've been told... And I've read and I've watched documentaries of how gold is purified. If you've ever watched Discovery Channel, History Channel, you've probably seen them too. But you know how the, the most beautiful gold is refined? You know what brings out its value? Do you be more precious than it is in the raw? Heat. Fire. All I can say is this. Based on God's word, the trials that we go through, the heat, so to speak, that you are facing is doing nothing but refining you if you will let God work. He's refining us through the trials. He's making us even more precious and valuable. Maybe not to him because God loves us with all that there is to love us. But he makes us more useful and valuable to those around us when we... Just think about this for a moment. Sometimes we have the idea that we're the only ones going through whatever it is that we're going through. Can I just give you a news alert? You're not. I don't care how sick you are, there's someone who's been sicker. I don't care how many surgeries you've had, somebody's had more. I don't care whatever disease you've had, there's other people who've had it worse. There's always people who have it worse than us. But when we're going through it, it feels like it's heavy on us as if we're the only ones sometimes. But we're not. And God's word says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29, that all things work together for good 
Well, see, Pastor, I've been through a divorce. Can God use that? Absolutely, 100%. There are people that are going through a divorce that I've, I've never been, folks, I've never been through a divorce. But I have friends who've gone through a divorce. And when this person is going through a divorce, I say to them, can I let my friend talk to you? They're going to give you some insight and encouragement that it's not the end of the world. And I can put two together. And God uses it. Heartache. You know, when there's people going through heartache, I know the person who's been, I know somebody who's going through that just like you are. Can I, can I encourage them to talk to you? Would that be all right with you? And I put them together and all of a sudden they realize they're not alone. After someone has died, so-and-so lost someone. You know, we had a lady in our church whose son died. And I called Pastor Hubert Nolan from Hope Center Indy who had just lost his adult son to heart failure. And I said, Pastor Hubert, would you call so-and-so and encourage them during this difficult time? He goes, absolutely. Call that other person and God God can take the most difficult circumstance, the things that we would never choose, the things that we would never want to experience, and turn them around for good. That's what he says. But here's the key. God says, I'll work all things for good to them that what? Love God and are called according to his purpose. And verse 29 that we don't often associate with it, it says that we might be conformed to the image of his son. God can take all the difficult circumstances of life and use them for his own glory and in the process make us more like his son. That's the purpose. And sometimes what we're going through is nothing more than the purpose of refining us. And there's the value because what you're going through is going to be a encouragement and a value and precious to someone else. But the key is you got to trust God. You got to know God. Difficult times are here. Keep saying, people keep saying, I can't, I, I'm telling you, I got both hands and both feet in the air. If I could get them up there long enough, I'm so tired of 2021. I seriously, we said that in 2020. And it's like Groundhog Day again. It's like it just kept happening. But God is still on the throne. And I believe that he's working. And I choose to look at all the positive things that he, that he is doing, right? It's so cool. Seeing people saved this summer. Seeing people come to know Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm investing in. Everything else is just stuff. But God's in control of the stuff. If we trust him. I want to close this service today by just spending some time in prayer. I've asked a couple people to to pray with me this morning. And I'm going to ask, uh, uh, who's in the back that can haul on collar on? Uh, Hans, would you help me with this? Grab a microphone from the back in just a few moments after our invitation. I want to just invite some people to pray. I've asked a couple of people to pray, but if you want to pray, just stand and Hans will see you and give you the microphone. But I want to just close this service in prayer. We don't do that a lot here. In fact, we haven't done it in a while. But I, if I could invite you for a few moments this morning, just to bow our heads, close our eyes. I want to ask a couple of questions as no one's looking around. And then we're going to have a moment of prayer after that. So as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, Lord God, we come before you. And we ask God that you would work in our hearts. 
Lord, I don't know the stories of everybody that's here today. I don't know what everyone's going through. But God, I know that you know. I know, God, that you're aware of every detail of every person's life. You told us in your word, the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 4, that all things are naked and open before God with whom we have to deal with. You see everything. We might be able to hide things from everyone around us, but we can't hide them from you, God. You see them. In Psalm chapter 139, dear Father, you say that no matter where man can go, you are there. And Lord, it's just not only is it ultimate accountability, but it's ultimate assurance that you're with us. And we're so thankful for that. But God, the key to you working in all these circumstances is for us to have a relationship with you. Oh God, we we need you. And Lord, I pray if there be one person here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, might today be the day of salvation for them. I ask God that we might just be honest just for a moment to truly know whether or not we know you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you're visiting with us here today, each and every week we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. And I just give everyone that opportunity. So I just ask this question. I'll never embarrass you, never call you out, but just simply give an opportunity to pray for you. So here's the questions this morning. How many of you would say, Pastor, I look at everything going on around me and I just worry, I fret, I I fear and discouraged and depressed and I just haven't had the right perspective of knowing that God's in control and that, that God's working in and through all these things and I just need encouragement. I, I, I want to give everything back to God. I want to just trust him to work through all these circumstances. If that's you this morning, you say, Pastor, pray for me. Would you just lift your hand? I'd love to. Yes, in the back, in the side, in the front. We're going to pray for these things in just a few moments. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. There's things that I'm going through. No one else knows about them, but I know that God knows. Pray for me. Anyone else like that this morning? Yes, in the front, in the back, the sides. We're all in the same boat. We're struggling. We've got things that we're dealing with. I encourage you to just give it to God this morning. And the second question before we pray is this. Do you know for a certainty that you know Jesus? And let me ask this question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you'll spend eternity in heaven with the Lord? Because God's word tells us not everyone who dies is going to spend eternity in heaven. If we don't know Jesus, you'll not spend eternity with him. And so the question is not, do you want to join the church? The question is not, are you going to be a Baptist, a Catholic, a Lutheran, a Methodist, or whatever else? None of that matters. Religion will never save you. Religion will never get you to heaven. Say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? A simple relationship. A simple prayer of faith, putting your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's not a prayer to join the church. It's not a prayer to give money. It's not a prayer to start helping others. It's a prayer to know Jesus. Many of you have made that prayer, but it's a simple prayer. And I encourage you this morning. Say, Pastor, if I were to die today, I don't know that I would spend eternity in heaven. I don't know that I really know Jesus, but I'm concerned. Would you pray for me? I'm not embarrassed. I'd not call you out. Yes, thank you. Anyone else say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Pray for me. I don't know. Can I challenge you then to pray this prayer? 
If in your heart you're not sure, oh, my prayer will never save you. It cannot save you. But if you say, I want to pray to God this morning and I just don't know what to say, it's a simple prayer of faith. You believe what you are praying. It's a simple prayer. And you can repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I come before you. And Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that you died on the cross for me and shed your blood so that I can have forgiveness of sins. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I ask you, Jesus, to be my Savior. I put my faith and trust in you. In Jesus' name. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, can I just ask that simple question? Has anyone here this morning prayed that prayer? Amen. Anyone else say, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. Can I just challenge you to draw close to God? Trust Him. He'll never let you down. He'll never disappoint you. He has your best interests at heart. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would work in our hearts this morning. Draw us close to you. So Lord, as we close and these several men pray, I ask God that you would speak to our hearts. May we join together in prayer, Lord.